I want to talk to you about the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. Now, everyone's heard the story of Jesus dying on the cross. Seen the pictures, heard the story, maybe gone to church and uh, sort of got a, a sense about it. You've heard the story. But many people have no idea why Jesus died on the cross and why it matters to you. And I want to talk to you today about why Jesus dying on the cross matters to you, what it means to your life, whether you're a Christian who thinks you already know all the aspects of what happened on the cross of Christ, or whether you are one of those people who just heard the story but hadn't placed your faith in the cross of Christ yet, I want to help you discover and unpack the why of Jesus dying on the cross. I want to point out, first of all, that Jesus died on the cross, number one, because he loved you. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave him up to die so that if you would just believe in him, you wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Jesus died on the cross because he would rather have mercy on you. Yes, God commended or sent his love to us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died so that we wouldn't have to. He would rather die himself than to see you suffer. And finally today, justice. Jesus died on the cross for justice. A lot of people think of the forgiveness of sins as God simply sweeping everything under the rug. He's just going to forget about all the things we've done. But no, God is a just God. And Jesus dying on the cross is about fulfilling the justice of God in your life and in my life. Know this, that the cross of Christ has a huge impact, not only on the world, but on your life, child of God on your life, person, on your life, it matters to you. So I want to talk to you today about how God relates to people. And it's important that we understand this. You know, if you open your Bibles, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. The uh, Old Testament contains much of the Old Covenant and the New Testament contains a new covenant uh, that Jesus brought when he came to earth the first time. Now, what do I mean by covenant? It's really a contract. It's really a definition of how God is going to relate to you and how you are going to relate to him. Now, I want you to know this. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you are uh, uh, saved, filled with the spirit, been saved a long time. You are in some sort of contract with God. You are in some sort of covenant with God. Now, if you're an atheist and you don't even believe in God, you are still in some kind of contract some sort of relationship with God, whether you like it or not. God sets the rules. Now, I want to talk to you today about the old covenant versus the new covenant. Did I get that right? The old covenant is the law. The new covenant is grace. Yes. And so uh, it's important that we understand this so that we can understand what the cross means to us. The Old Covenant versus the New. Now, I want you to think of the Old Covenant today as uh, descriptive of a relationship with God that depends upon you being perfect. It requires you to be perfect. It's your own merit. In other words, you're the one who earns it. 
You're the one who earns righteousness and blessing and relationship with God. You, by doing everything right. Now, we learned last week there, are, there were 1,613 uh, rules in the Mosaic law. Now, uh, beyond that, uh, anything that you do against your conscience, anything you do that you know is the wrong thing to do, puts you in a situation where you have breached or broken this law, are you understanding that today? So this law, doing everything right, is about you in your power doing it right. Now here's the thing, you gotta do it right all the time. You've gotta be perfect under the law to be declared right with God, to be declared holy, to receive all the blessings and the good things that he has for you. Now, the breach of contract under the law states that if you break this at one point at any time in your life, if you do one thing that's not perfect, then the penalty is death. The penalty is death. The penalty is complete and absolute separation from God. So every person that's born in the race of Adam is born into a contract of the law. You are born into a situation where you've got to save yourself. You've got to be good all the time. You've got to do right. And you may not realize it, but that's the law was given so that you would realize that you can't save yourself. Some of you today, you're trying to be good. You're trying to do right. You're trying to justify yourselves by the good things you've done. But listen, you can't justify yourself if you've done one thing wrong. Just one is all it takes. People say, well, that don't sound very fair. Well, let me ask you this. If, if you uh, uh, did good all of your life, but one day you murdered someone, would the law simply say, you know what? You've been good most of the time. This one little thing, uh, we're just going to let it slide. No, they would arrest you and they would punish you and put you in prison and rightfully so. In the same regard, all it takes is one thing for you to be punished under the law. And the punishment is separation from God, which is death. You're born in this. Now, I want you to know that if you're not in Christ today under a new covenant, then you are under the law. You are being judged by your actions. You are being judged by the things that you do. You are being defined by your sin. And there is an eternal punishment waited for you, waiting for you. Now, I know that's not a popular doctrine these days, but I want to tell you the truth today. I'm here to tell you the truth that this is where we all have been, all of us who are born under the race of Adam, all of us who are humans. Do you understand what I'm saying to you today? And there's a new covenant that Jesus brought, and this covenant is grace. And what's great about the covenant of grace is that Jesus does all the work. He earned it. He did all the work for you, and the way you receive it is by faith. You simply believe that it's true, and you trust in it, and it is applied to your life, applied to your account. Now, how easy is that? How would you like it if I told you I'm going to give you a million dollars? I'm going to put it straight into your bank account. All you've got to do is trust and believe uh, that I'm doing it so that you can actually spend the money. That's all it takes is for you to trust in it and believe in it. And so it's a covenant by faith. It sounds great. The, the rewards of this covenant is abundant life and eternal life. Yes, God wants to give you good life here on earth. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have problems and you don't have difficulties. You have the same difficulties everyone else does, maybe even worse. 
but you have joy in the middle of your difficulties. You, you can walk on water in the midst of the storm. There's a, a table prepared before your pre the presence of your enemies. You are blessed even though the things around you are falling apart. Yes, you don't need money. You don't need possessions. You don't, need, you don't even need health or anything like that because inside of you is eternal life. That's the abundant life, relationship with God. You see, in this covenant, you are made righteous and you are one with God. Now that sounds good. Why would anybody who believes in God want to live in this contract where you've already failed when you can live in this contract? Well, there's a problem. The problem is there's a huge gap between these two relationships. There's a huge gap between the law and grace. There's a huge gap between the two and you have no power to bridge the gap. That's right. You don't have the ability to take yourself out of the law and get into grace. Why? Because there's a punishment that has to be paid. You are still under a contract of the law and something has to be done to get you out of this contract. So Jesus came to bridge the gap. Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross and was rose, resurrected from the dead, rose again on the third day so that he could get you out of this contract and into this one. Praise his wonderful name. Glory to God. Can we just praise him for a second? Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This is why it matters to you, because if you don't acknowledge, if you don't receive the benefits of what Jesus did in the middle, then you're stuck over here under the law. That's simply the way it is. And if you want to get over here, you've got to go through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one gets to the Father. No one gets from this contract to this one. No one gets from being alienated from God over to this one where you're in right standing with God without first going through Jesus. We've got to go through Jesus. So what happened here in the middle is what I want to talk about. Last week, we talked about the perfect life of Jesus, how that when Jesus lived, he, he was tempted just like we are. He could have sinned, but he didn't. And because he didn't, he fulfilled the law. Let me read it to you in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 today, verse 17 and 18, Jesus said, Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. He didn't come to rip this contract up. No, but I came to fulfill it. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus accomplished everything for you. He fulfilled the law with his perfect life. Yes, he fulfilled the law. In other words, you were supposed to do the right thing and you didn't. Jesus did that for you. You were supposed to not do or avoid the wrong thing, but you didn't. You gave in and did the wrong thing. Well, Jesus, on the other hand, he avoided the wrong thing. He resisted temptation. He did right instead of doing wrong for you. He fulfilled the law. So, so now when I stand before God, if I'm a, a believer in Jesus Christ and I trust in him, 
then when the accusation is made and the questions are asked, did you honor your father and mother all of your life to perfection? I can say yes, because Jesus did it for me. He lived a perfect life. If someone says, have you uh, never committed adultery? Have you never told a lie? Have you never gotten angry out of turn? I can say yes, because Jesus did it for me. You say every time someone, Satan or someone else accuses me of not fulfilling the law, what I do is just point to Jesus' perfect life because his perfect life fulfilled that aspect of the law for me. Are you with me today so far? But we've still got a problem, and that is I have still sinned, and the punishment of sin is death. Now, I can't get out of this contract, even though Jesus lived a perfect life for me. I can't get out of this contract until someone pays the price for sin. Someone's got to be punished. Now, I know a lot of people think uh, that, you know, forgiveness of sins, once again, is just God forgetting about it or sweeping it under the rug. But I want you to know God is a just God. What that means is that a a, a part of his character is justice, rightness. Uh, there's, a, there's a famous judge that's on the internet a lot. Some of you probably seen him. He's an older guy, and I think he's up in Rhode Island. And he has such a unique and, and compassionate personality. And I love about 95% of what he does because people come in there and they share uh, their stories about traffic tickets and little things. It's little misdemeanors. And, and he'll often hear the story and just grant mercy and just let it go. Now, now most of me likes that. But there's a part of me that has a problem with that because it's a matter of justice. You see, real justice doesn't take a group of people and pick the ones that you like the story about and let them go because you liked their story. Are you hearing me? That's not really justice. When you're a judge on the bench, it's your job to interpret the law, right? It's your job to interpret what the law says. So why do some get to go free and others have to pay the fine? Do you understand what I'm saying? It kind of rubs me a little bit the wrong way, although most of me really loves watching him and watching his compassion on people. But it reminds me sometimes of the justice of God. We want to think of God as the judge who just heard our story and he understands the troubles we've been through and he's just going to say, you know what, case dismissed. You're, you're a good guy. Go on your own way. No, God doesn't function that way. Justice with God is absolute. Are you hearing me? And if the contract says the wages of sin is death, the soul that sins will die. If the contract says that, God will carry it out. Now understand, we're talking about how you and I are under this contract, but God is in this contract too. And he is going to fulfill his part of the contract, which means he is going to punish sin. And the punishment for sin is death. Somebody's got to die somebody's got to die, which is where Jesus comes in. Hallelujah. Jesus' death on the cross means that he took the punishment for my sin. He took the punishment for your sin. Now watch this. Let's get right down to where the rubber meets the road. When you lied and it caused spiritual consequences, Jesus took that upon himself on the cross. When you stole 
and it caused spiritual consequences, Jesus took that upon himself. He became guilty. The Bible says he became the curse so that we could be freed from the curse. The weight of the sin of the world was placed upon his shoulders. Every time you have sinned in the past, every time you've sinned in the present, every time you and I have sinned in the future was laid upon him. The weight of our sin, the iniquity of us all was laid on the shoulders of the perfect Lamb of God. Yes, that's right. He didn't deserve to die because he didn't break any of the law. He's the only one who didn't deserve to die, which is why he's able to die for you. And he gave his life on the cross. He took the penalty of sin for you. That, As John 3 says, if you would just believe, If you would just believe you can have eternal life, that if you would just accept and receive his perfect life, he would get you out of this contract. Jesus stands between the law and grace so that number one, he can get you out of the law. Once again, he's not trying to tear up the law. He's not trying to sweep your sin under the rug. No, he's paying the price for your sin. Your contract is fulfilled. It's not abolished. It's fulfilled. You got that? Jesus fulfilled it. When God looks at the law in comparison to your life, what he sees is the perfection of Jesus, the death of Jesus. He sees that all has been paid for and justice has been served. Somebody say amen to that. Hallelujah. That's why the cross matters, number one, because it allows you to get out of the law. This contract is stamped, paid in full when you place your trust in what Jesus has done. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus stands between the law and grace, number two, to get you not only out of the law, but into grace. That's right. He brought a new contract. And the way you get into this is by believing in his perfect life his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead by believing in who he is and what he's done for your life and trusting in it and trusting, applying it to your life. So that I like to put it this way. What does it mean to really believe? When the Bible says believe, it, it encompasses a lot of different things. By grace, this contract is received by believing, by faith. Now, faith, what does that mean? More than just believing in it, but trusting in it. So in other words, if someone was to come with power to eternally take you to heaven or send you to hell, and they were to ask you, what right do you have to go to heaven and not hell? Your trust, your defense would not be, well, I'm good. Well, you know, I I go to church. No, your defense would be because I've believed in Jesus and I'm putting all my eggs in the Jesus died for me and rose from the dead for me basket. I'm placing all my faith in that. If that will get me into heaven, that's where I'm going. If it won't, then I'm not going there. Trust means not only do I believe in this stuff, it means that I place it in my life in such a way that it's my dependence. I depend on it. I believe in it in such a way that I'll live my life according to it. I'll stand before God with it. It's received by faith. Now, the good thing about the grace covenant that's not like the law covenant is that Jesus did all the work. All the work was on Jesus. All the heavy lifting is on Jesus. Listen, when you get into areas of your life, of your Christian life, or you listen to Christians telling you you got to do things in order to be saved, you've got to uh, uh, earn it, you've got to uh, put a lot of works along with it, 
uh, that's not grace. Anytime the burden comes off of Jesus and onto you, and the only thing, the only thing, uh, uh, if there's more than just believing, then that's not grace. Grace says Jesus did it. I believe it. I receive it. It's in my life. Yes. Grace means Jesus did the work and the rewards for grace are abundant life and eternal life. The punishment over here is death. The reward over here is eternal life. You see what Jesus did in the middle opens up the door for you to walk into a covenant relationship of grace based upon the merits of Jesus, not on your own. You are saved by grace and you are kept by grace. Let me read you some more scriptures. Hallelujah. 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 Hebrews 7, 22. So much more also, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Jesus, right here in the middle, he is the guarantor of a better covenant. Because of him, you are guaranteed to be able to come in here by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. It is a gift of God. You are saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. That's the old law. It's the gift of God that's given to you by faith, not by works. Romans 10, 8 through 10. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preparing. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made, resulting in salvation. These are descriptors of how to enter into grace. Now let's talk about that for a minute. You're already in this covenant when you're born, whether you like it or not. This is the covenant that you're in. You want to get in this one? You've got to do some things here in the middle. I don't mean works. I mean having faith, exercising faith. And uh, uh, these all are interrelated to one another. One thing is you have to believe. You have to believe that Jesus is the son of God. You have to believe that he died on the cross and that when he died, he took the penalty for your sin. You have to believe in the work and the person of Jesus Christ. If you don't believe, then you're never going to get across this, this gap, this, this chasm between old and new. So number one, you have to believe. Number two, you have to repent. Now I know Repentance is a scary word. It sounds very religious. And a lot of people think they confuse repentance with penance. They think of being punished. Like you've got to beat yourself up and you've got to be so sorry and you've got to, you've got to cry and whine. And there's a period of time where you need to suffer before you're finally free. No, that's not repentance. Repentance is simply saying, I've tried it this way. Me being the Savior, me being the Lord, me being the one who's uh, in control of my life, me doing what I want and trying to save myself. And I recognize that I can't save myself. I recognize that I don't deserve or have the inherent nature to rule my own life. I wasn't born to be the ruler of my life. I recognize that this isn't working and I turn away from that to turn to Jesus. That's what repentance is. It's saying no to this life. Yes, there's sin and there's selfishness, all of that stuff. Yes, but that's just a part of it. Really the core of it, the root of the tree is I'm not trusting in me anymore. I'm not allowing myself to be the Lord of my life. I'm turning from that and turning to faith in Jesus Christ. So we believe we repent by turning to Jesus. Yes, and then we confess. 
What does that mean? That means we make our, our, our faith in Christ a public thing. We say it with our mouth. We live it out every day. Uh, you know, it's, it would be strange for you to get married and keep your wife a secret. That would be terrible. What kind of love and relationship is that? No, you are to confess with your mouth publicly that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord. You're supposed to live in such a way that people recognize that. Not because you're good all the time, but because you carry your faith in Christ with you all the time. It affects your life. So by these things that happen in our lives, we believe in what Jesus did in the middle. We believe in what he did on the cross. We turn from living for ourselves to living for him. And we confess with our mouth, this is the decision that we made. And the Bible says we become saved. We are born again. Our spirits are brought to life. We are brought into this new agreement, this new covenant through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I want you to know that my life, my particular life, there's a covenant like this that has my name on it. But you know what it says right on top? It says paid in full by Jesus Christ. He lived the life for me. He died the death for me. He finished his contract up. I'm not under it any longer. He didn't rip the contract up. He fulfilled it. And when I placed my faith in him, him, he put me into this contract. Yes. And I'm in this one in which I am blessed because of what Jesus has done. I am blessed. I have eternal life because of who he is and what he has done for me. Glory to his name. Now, are you capturing this? There is the old relationship and the new relationship. And the only thing that's going to get you to the new is the life and sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. So why is Jesus in the middle? Jesus is in the middle, number one, to fulfill the law for you. Jesus is in the middle, number two, to help you get into, usher you in, to guarantee you into the contract of grace. And finally today, Jesus is in the middle so that once you come over here, you don't go back. I'm going to hit a lot of you Christians today. In fact, let me read some scriptures for you. Galatians. I want to read Galatians 3, 1 through 14. You foolish Galatians, talking to the church. Paul's talking to the church. Who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. You catch that. If you're, if you're living 
by the works of the law, you're under a curse. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform it. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What is Paul saying here to the church? Apparently the Galatians had received salvation by faith, what we talked about, they had repented and turned from that and believed in Jesus and got into the new relationship of grace. But now that they're in here, they start measuring themselves. They start trying to earn this by their good works. They start trying to prove that they're saved by their good works. They try, start trying to tell each other that, listen, if you're truly saved, uh, you're going you're gonna to have to prove it by doing all these things. And, and listen, I believe Jesus stands as a firm line between the old and the new so that you and I don't try to make a return back to the law. And, and it says here in the scripture, listen, if you want to go back to the law, you've got to go all the way back. You can't just pick little things out of the Old Testament and decide that those are things that everybody has to do in order to be saved. No, if you're going to pick one thing, you got to go back and go under all of it. You see, this is why it's so important that you understand this, Christian, that Jesus finished this law. He fulfilled it for you. It's over. Hebrews chapter 7 says that Christ is the end of the law for those who believe. He is the end of the law for those who believe. So anytime the spirit of this comes on you, that's not God. That's not the Holy Spirit. That is the enemy. That is your conscience. That is other people trying to tell you things that you don't need to, 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 to receive or believe. And listen, don't go back. Paul is telling the, the Galatians, you received this by faith. You're going to keep this by faith. Somebody's getting that today. Somebody is getting that today. You received this by faith. You're going to uh, uh, keep it by faith. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. So I believe that Jesus stands between the two contracts so we don't try to go back. We don't try to mix the two together. Yes, it's a dangerous thing to mix law and grace together. They weren't designed to be mixed together. It kind of reminds me of uh, if you had a, a Lego set and one Lego set was, let's say, a, an elaborate uh, Millennium Falcon from Star Wars and another Lego set over here, which was, uh, let's say, the Star Trek Enterprise. And there were thousands of pieces and you took all of the pieces loose and you dumped them all together on the ground. Now you don't have the ability to fully function in either one of these things. And the only thing that you can do is to slowly and meticulously separate the two uh, Lego things so that you can actually put this together or this together. 
And it reminds me of what God is continually doing in Christians' lives. He's continually having to re-separate the law and grace for you and re-remind you, hey, you're trying to add works into your salvation. Hey, don't think that way. Don't talk that way. Don't live that way. Don't live in such a way that you depend upon your behavior for your position in Christ. I can hear you. I can hear some of you out there going, oh, well, what does that mean, Pastor? Does that mean that, that uh, I can just sin anytime I want? It doesn't matter. That doesn't mean that at all. What it means is that if you have faith in Christ, Christ will save you for the purpose of being free from sin and into good works. That good works come from your faith. They don't cause your salvation. Are you with me today? Uh, boy, I'd like to get into that deeper, but I don't have time today. But, but needless to say, uh, your salvation, your position in Christ is by faith. Now, once you're in that position, then God will deal with you as his child. He'll, he'll address the things you do wrong. He'll correct you. He'll help you grow. That's a whole nother sermon. And there's too many of you today that are mixing the law and grace. You're confusing your salvation with your sanctification. And that's why you're on this roller coaster all the time of, am I saved? Did I do good enough? Did I confess my last sin? Listen, what a terrible way to live to think that you have to confess all the time to be saved. First of all, how are you going to know everything that you need to confess? You don't even know all the sins you commit. Second of all, it's timing, really? So like if, uh, if you're driving down the road and you commit a sin and all of a sudden somebody runs into you and your life is over, you're going to hell because you didn't have the time to confess? What a ridiculous way to live your life. That's why so many of you are on the roller coaster of life because you're worried about being saved based upon your actions. And that's an aspect of the old law. Let me help you understand it a little better. Let's say that you have a father and he loves you and he wants you to do right. And, and for a period of time, you live in a land where it is against the law to steal. The law is written out that you cannot steal. And so if you steal, not only is your father going to correct you, but the law is going to punish you. Well, let's say that you move to a land where it's not against the law to steal, yet your father still doesn't want you to steal because he's a good father and he wants you to do the right thing. When you steal over here, you will be punished according to the law. When you steal over here, the law has no power over you because stealing is not a part of uh, what's going on in this land. It's not against the law. However, your father will correct you. He will teach you. He might even punish you so that you will do the right thing. He does it not because he's trying to get you out from under the law. You already live in a land where the law isn't applied anymore. But God still wants you to do the right thing. And can I tell you something? People who love God want to please God. Can I promise you this? I have done, lived more like Jesus. I have lived more in love and in compassion when I began to realize this truth than I ever did by trying to prove my salvation under the law by my works. Every time we try to prove our salvation, every time we try to add to what Jesus has done by our works, it seems like we just fall right into the sin. Have you ever got up and said, I'm not going to lose my temper. I'm not going to lose my temper. I'm not going to lose my temper. I'm not going to lose my temper until finally you lose your temper. You know why? Because there's no power under the law. 
But when you're over here in grace, you simply just know who you are. You know what God says about you. And you are so free in that. Your position in Christ, you're free in that. And you know what? You'll, you'll live more like Jesus with that frame of mind than you ever will with a consciousness of sin. Always trying to judge your life by the rules. Now, are you catching this? Once again, child of God. Some of you are confused. That's because right now the Holy Spirit is picking through the Legos of your brain and trying to get some of that law that's been melted together through traditions and through other means uh, from centuries back that has been taught in the church. And, and, and that is that somehow you've got to live up to a certain level. Yes, you'll still sin, but a certain level of living to prove that you're saved. Listen, God is slowly pulling the Legos apart. You can't, you can't bring the law into grace. No, you, one way or the other. You can't live on the bridge. You've got to go one way or the other. Yes, you've got to go one way or the, Which one are you going to live under, Jesus says. If you want to live under grace, leave this behind. I fulfilled it. It is not your works. Yes, if you want to talk about your works, if you want to talk about doing right as a Christian, let's talk about sanctification. Let's talk about what it means to live as a child of God. Once again, that's a sermon for another time. Don't confuse the two. When you go out in your life today and you do something that's wrong, if you're a child of God saved by faith, that doesn't mean you're no longer saved. You don't have this roller coaster of salvation where one minute you're saved until you confess and then all you sin, now you're going to hell. Oh, you confess and now you're saved again. No, God doesn't work that way. You don't float back and forth between contracts. This one is completed by faith. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You know how beautiful that is? How powerful that is? Yes. You know what that makes me want to do? That makes me want to please my father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So don't mix the two up. Don't mix law and grace. A lot of you today are, you think that sin and works is a part of this covenant. Once again, this is a land where it's not against the law to steal because there is no law. It's finished. This is the land where where uh, the law is, you know what? Sin has always existed, but when the law came, it defined sin and gave it a punishment. And that's what's happening over here. So, so if you steal over here, there is a consequence. Over here, there is no law. It's fulfilled. It's finished. It's over with. If you sin, yes, your father will correct you. Yes, it's still wrong, but it doesn't change your position in Christ. The law has no power over you when you're in this contract. I hope this is becoming clear to you. I know we've kind of waded deep in a little bit to theology today, but uh, Christians, I'm talking to you today. And if you're not a Christian, if you become a Christian, don't think you become a Christian by good works and good behavior. And don't think that you stay saved by good works and good behavior. Yes, your faith that saves you will produce good works and good behavior, but it is not the cause of your salvation. Do you have that clear? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So don't mix the two up. I believe that Jesus stands at the center so that when you try to go back, he's reminding you not to. There's a scripture that says all of the accusations of the Old Testament, the things that were, let's say, on you, the skeletons in your closet, the, the accusations against you, Jesus nailed to the cross and defeated the accuser for you. Now, that's symbolic. I want you to know why. Because... The, the contract of the law that was nailed to the cross is on the cross for a reason. 
It's on the cross so that when you try to go back to the law, Jesus is there to remind you. Now get this. When you, let's just take a mental trip. Let's just say spiritually, you start thinking about going back to the law and you don't like consciously say, I'm going back to the law. What you, what you say is, you know what? I'm not good enough right now. And I'm wondering if I'm even saved. And so I better behave better. Now you're drifting across the bridge and you're trying to go back across, but there's someone there to stop you. And it is the cross of Christ. It is Jesus who would say to you, it is finished. Yes. Listen, when you're under this contract and you say, I've got to do things in order to stay saved or, or to fulfill this contract. My works matter in regard to this contract. What you're doing is going back to the law. And in the middle of that, you've got to stop at the cross of Christ and you've got to look Jesus in the eye and you've got to say to him, what you did right here in the middle is not enough. I've got to add something to it. I know what you did is good. It's big, but you know what? I need to add something to it. When you said it is finished, it wasn't really finished. I had to add to that. And I believe that Jesus stands in the middle today and he is guarding Christians against going back under the law. He is trying to tell you, you are saved by faith. You are kept by faith. It is faith in me that holds you. You are in me. You are adopted into my family. I've got you. No one can pluck you out of my hands. I don't judge you by the law because we don't live under the law anymore. We live under faith in Christ Jesus. You are not defined by your sins. You're defined by who I say you are. My father has declared who you are. That is who you are. Yet, unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians who look Jesus in the eye and they say, you know what, Jesus, I know you died for my sins. I know you paid the penalty. I know you lived a perfect life, but I just don't think it's enough. I really think that I need to, to have a certain level of behavior so that I can really say that I'm saved. Look at me. Look how I behave. I'm saved. You know what the world knows? The world knows that uh, Christians who live that way are hypocrites. Well, the Bible says that if you're guilty of one law, one breach of this contract, you're guilty of it all. So what sins do you commit that are okay? And what sins do you commit that are not okay? Is it how many times you commit? Is it, what is it, 70 times 8? Is that too many? How many sins and what sins are they that you've got to get mastered in order to add to what Jesus has done so that you can be secure in your position in Christ. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any biblical sense. I'm here to tell you Christians out there today who've been mixing the law and grace. Listen, your sanctification, once you're in the family, your growth in Christ, your uh, Jesus, uh, God and the Holy Spirit working on you to, to uh, turn you into the image of Christ, all of that... All of that is another subject and it is not about your salvation. Once you're adopted into the family, God doesn't kick you out based on behavior. That's how he treats the servants, not the sons. And when the prodigal came home, he thought he was a servant, but his father said, no, this is my son. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. I am a child of God by faith. Christ did the work for me. I'm not adding anything to that. You know what that makes me want to do? That makes me want to serve him more. 
That makes me want to love him more. That makes me want to please him more. That makes me want to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in me and the Word of God at work in me to perfect me into the image of Jesus because I rest in position, but I work in ministry and I move in my life. Do you have, do you capture that we we go into all the world in ministry but we rest in our position in christ jesus by faith hallelujah i'm talking about your salvation today so what does all this mean what does it mean the cross of christ is at the center of two relationships you're going to have a relationship with god whether you like it or not you can say i never even talked to god i, I don't believe in god i never talked to him well, listen he's talking to you and someday he's going to talk to you in a way that you're going to know he's real you're in a relationship one way or the other. It's either this one where you're the God of your life and you save yourself. And if you do perfection all the time, you can earn righteousness, which you've already blown. Or you're in this relationship, which is based upon faith in what Christ Jesus has done right here in the center. That the perfect life and the perfect sacrifice of Jesus took care of the law for you. It is fulfilled. It's closed. The book is closed on the law for those who believe. Now, if you don't believe, if you're not in Christ, you're still over here. You're still over here. But if you place your faith in Christ, if you trust in Him, if you turn to Him, He will fulfill this. He will apply all that He's done to your account. Period. Closed. Paid in full. And He will put you into this contract which is based on faith. Yes. There are things about this contract that can't be changed. Hallelujah. Oh, bless the Lord. This is eternal life. This is abundant life. This is right relationship with God. Well, there's not a, there's not a pebble, not a hair between you and God. You are in union with Christ Jesus. You are in union with God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But you would never be able to get here from here to here if it wasn't for the perfect life and the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. So I want to encourage you today. If Jesus isn't your Savior and Lord. This is the day. This is your time. This is your opportunity to believe, to turn from this life to this one. To believe that Jesus lived a perfect life on your behalf that he died and paid the penalty for your sin so that when you stand before God, there is not one thing, not one accusation that can be held against you. God's a just God. And what he sees is that it's been paid in full. It wasn't swept under the rug. It was paid for at the cross. Let me say that again. Your sin, my sin, was not swept under the rug. It was paid for at the cross. Jesus took the penalty for our sin so that we could be free to enter into a new contract. Hallelujah. Father, I pray for the people who are out there today, God. I encourage them today in the Lord. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just continue to draw people by the Spirit and by the Word of God into the middle here to place their faith and their trust in you, Christ, to believe that you're the Son of God. And that you died for our sins. And that they can turn from saving themselves a life that's based on their merit to a life that's based on yours. And that you become their Savior. You become their Lord. I thank you for that, Jesus. I praise you for what salvation means. I thank you, God, that you are in the middle. I thank you, God. 
I thank you, Lord, that in my own life you have been separating the Legos. <laughs> you have been removing the, the law from my grace contract, separating them from my grace contract. You've been removing them, helping me understand times where I'm trying to function or justify myself under the law. And I thank you for doing that now in people's lives that they are beginning to see the Holy Spirit is working to keep them from going back, from mixing the two. Thank you for that, Jesus. I praise you for it, Lord. And God, I pray that today people will be inspired, encouraged, and, and rest in you, Christ, in their position in you, Jesus. I thank you for it, Lord. I pray for them, Lord. Reveal yourself to them. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. And amen. God.